0: When someone talks about philosophy, do you automatically envision old white guys with graying beards? I mean, probably, right? But what if Tupac is the greatest wisdom teacher of our time? What can rap teach us about life's deepest questions? And if they were still alive, would we actually find Aristotle and Plato at the nearest hip hop jam session? I mean, I'd like to believe that was true. (laughs) Well, Welcome to This Plus That, a show about connecting the seemingly unconnectable and why it matters. My name, of course, is Brandy. I'm your host. And as you might have guessed, this episode of the podcast is all about the intersections of freestyle rap and philosophy. And Brenton Zola is here to talk to us about it. Brenton is a longtime friend of mine, and he uses the power of words to cultivate humanity. He's a writer, thinker, Multidisciplinary artist, and all kinds of things, which is why we get along so well. Informed by an upbringing from Congolese immigrants and travel to over 60 nations, his writing and creative work blend narrative, philosophy, and history to examine how we build ethical societies. His work has appeared in the New York Times, Newsweek, LA Times, Inc., American Theater, Boulevard Magazine, Prism and on NPR member station WBUR Boston, as well as PBS, among others. His professional journey started with living at a meditation and martial arts school in Asia, which led to work through social impact and the arts. Brenton has been an artist-in-residence at theaters and collectives worldwide and serves as a curator for the Tilt West Journal. He's a Moth Story Slam champion, a proud member of Playback Theater West and Storytellers Acapella and a TEDx speaker and organizer at one of the world's largest events. He believes truth can be found at the intersection of disciplines and stories, which is exactly, of course, what we talk about today, including the tensions between intelligence and creativity, his mom's love of Tupac where his love of rap began, how he defines philosophy, what philosophy brings to the table that science doesn't rap as resistance and a demand for equality, what Brinton calls smashing atoms and why he loves it so much, a story about his time in speech and debate, a kind of freestyle performance, and his first early foray into mixing disciplines together, how the Greek stoa was the ancient version of the modern rap cipher, Freestyle and philosophy as a practice of spotting patterns and making interesting connections, the value of a public forum for debating ideas and how rap still practices this tradition, Brenton's current favorite atom smashers, rappers, and all-time favorite philosophers, and you're not going to want to miss it, a closing freestyle rap from him. Just a couple of things before we hop in, I do want to mention what Tilt West is, which is the organization that I just said Brenton helps to co-curate the journal for. And uh, Tilt West is a local organization here in the western part of the United States, uh, located specifically in Denver, Colorado, but promoting critical discourse focused on arts and culture through live events and publishing efforts that brings together a bunch of artists among the West. And there's one point in the conversation where we also mentioned someone named Natalie. She's another mutual friend. And we actually met at a Tilt West roundtable in early 2020, right before the pandemic happened. So that's it. I hope you enjoy this interview and you become as obsessed with Brinton and his mind as I have become since knowing him. And you start to get a little bit philosophical when you're listening to Kendrick Lamar and every other amazing artist that's alive today doing incredible rap. Enjoy the episode. I really love (laughs) Jay-Z. and One of my favorite quotes from a Jay-Z song, it's actually a quote from uh, boss by the Carters. So it's him and, uh, Beyonce, but it goes over here. We measure success by how many people successful next to you here. We say you broke if everybody is broke except for you. And I think that's so to me, it's not just philosophical. It's like such a statement on class that like the way that we look at success is not just an individual success. It's like if everybody around you is broke, then you're not wealthy, like you're not actually rich. Um, and I thought that was a fun, I just love that. I've always loved that quote from, from that song, um, forgetting how old it is, but for however long it's been out, I've really loved that. Uh, and so, I don't know, I think there's always these tensions between rap and class and all kinds of things in particular, but I also like to start conversations by asking what tensions or contradictions you feel like you're holding in your life right now.
1: Ooh, Mm. that is a really good question. So yeah, that's a really good question. I was having a conversation with an artist friend of mine who I met recently, and he's a really smart guy has a really, you know, large following for the very unique style of art that he does and sort of at the intersection of like art and social impact. Mm -hmm. and conservation and he actually came into art by way of engineering he was an engineer for a really long time he did like mining engineering and he we were talking about how one of the biggest tensions that certain artists feel is that people sometimes don't think you're smart if you're an artist that it's hard to be both like intellectual and highly creative and I think there are some like there are some mediums that are more conducive to um, relieving that tension. I think writing is one of them. Like I think a lot Mm -hmm. of writers are perceived as being intelligent, but um, as you get, I think more into sort of the visual or maybe esoteric areas of art. And so I have felt for a long time, I've always said I have the mind of a philosopher and the soul of an artist. And I have felt that tension between like, Creativity and intellectual drive sometimes. Um, So that's one tension. I very often feel the tension between being a first generation son of African immigrants Mm -hmm. and someone who grew up in the U.S. and how I find the sense of culture. Um, And there are a number of other ones, but I'll stick with those for now.
0: Yeah. There's a couple of things actually that, I mean, that sort of goes back to the quote even about class and, um, you know, success is that, you know, you're talking about that perception of, of artists not being super intelligent. And I, you know, I was thinking because we're going to be talking about freestyle and rap that, you know, one of my first responses was responses was going to be like, I mean, yes i think writers are often seen as intelligent because they're i think writers are often having to employ themselves in academia (laughs) to like make enough money and so they're often teachers and all kinds of other things that i think have this perception of you know a lot of intelligence and i was going to say like you know even writers who are musicians though i don't think are often inherently thought of as super intelligent But I think that's also interesting because even within genres of music or like you're saying, like genres of art, certain people are seen as more or less intelligent and rap, you know, like philosophy is one of those things where like when you think of philosophy, you think of like old, wealthy, white, rich guys, you know, and when you think of, uh, you know, those are like the classic texts that would be in in an academic settings, also, but when you think of... And, you know, so I was also thinking, like, inside of classical music. Like, they're definitely seen as maybe more intelligent than rappers. But that's also a race thing. Like, you know, often there are certain races that are in or out or, you know, like, within certain genres. And uh, certain perceptions get applied across all of those things.
1: Absolutely. 100% agree.
0: Yeah. Um. So how how did you... Like, how did you start getting into freestyling? What's <laughs> the story there?
1: What is the story? Um, so, when I was growing up, um, you know, my family, we, we lived a very sort of humble immigrant beginning. And so, uh, didn't really have a car for most of my childhood. And so I spent a lot of time walking to school. And uh, this was back in the day. uh, This is way back in the day where they had, you know, those Walkmans. (laughs) So uh, I remember my dad had this like, uh, you know, this old like CD Walkman. Uh And um, I remember being on the radio. And this is the time, you know, when Biggie was like super popular and Tupac, Mm -hmm. etc. And I will say there is no there is no human being on planet Earth who is a bigger fan of Tupac than my mother, she would, you know, she's just like this mostly reserved in, in public settings, African woman. But like, Mm. she would just like, you know, be in the bathroom taking a bath or, you know, washing clothes or whatever. And she would just be screaming Tupac lyrics while just like cranking the boombox. And so, um, you know, I listened to a lot of Tupac in, in my life. Um, and so I remember like, I just always loved hip hop. And so, uh, the one, I think the first CD that I bought when I was like eight or nine was actually the Marshall Mathers LP, Eminem. And I remember being so excited about having this. It's CD. like so, so nostalgic
0: I, for me. Cause it's like such a specific time in my life. It's like middle school probably. Yeah. Yep. Like Biggie and Tupac um, and yeah. Like California dreamin' and like all those sorts of things.
1: Yeah, big pop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So um, yeah, I just always, it always just, it hit me in a a different way. And so um, yeah, I would just walk to school and like have this little CD player and like be listening to all these lyrics probably that I shouldn't have been listening to at that age, quite honestly. But um, I just loved like the energy and the lyrics. Like I've always been a word person. And so Mm. like I always get very excited about wordplay and like, you know, Eminem is like a master of wordplay. And so um, and then, you know, went from M and Tupac to Dre and then later on to, you know, The Roots and many, many other hip hop artists. And when I was in high school, um, you know, I got into listening to a lot of freestyle because, you know, even in, in the hip hop world, there's a sort of a a demarcation, a bifurcation between like people who can write really good rap verses and people who can come up with things on mm-hmm. the spot. And so yeah. I just got really passionate about listening to Uh, a lot of freestyle artists some you know famous rappers and others who are just like good at freestyling and i just thought it was like the coolest thing and so um yeah i spent a lot of time walking and i remember there were some times where like you know some hard memories were like it would be two degrees in denver colorado and i'd have to walk like two hours to get from like some After school activity, I was doing like back to my house or from downtown at an internship or whatever. Yeah, and so I just had a lot of time, and so like as I was walking, sometimes I would just like you know throw rhymes together, or like I would always be memorizing people's rhyme schemes.
0: Mm.
1: I would always be memorizing people's rhyme schemes, and um, that's kind of like how it, how the seed was planted.
0: Yeah, when did the philosophy part of rap starting start to like really connect for you, like? I'm, is it like a history of rap? Like you started to sort of like see the roots of where that came from and why rap was created and how people were using that in a social context. Um, or was there something else?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's funny. All roads in many ways lead back to Tupac where, (laughs) I'm going to use that as the quote
0: for this. That was so great.
1: Um, But truly, like in the sense that he, you know, for some people, he was a musician. But I think for a lot of people, especially a lot of black folks and and a lot of, you know, black and brown people in general, BIPOC people in general, um, people understand that Tupac is really a philosopher. Mm -hmm. Like he was really talking about like, you know, life and death and evil. And I remember during 2020, during the, the protests sparked by George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery. There were many conversations that I had where I showed people there's like this one minute clip, Uh, it was like it went viral on Twitter for a while. It it pops up here and there. But uh, Tupac is talking about um, why basically uh, black people are have been like protesting and why they're very angry and why the black Mm community has been very angry. Mm-hmm. And basically the, the 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 summary of it is he was like, imagine you're like in a hotel, right? And he's like, you see, you're looking like in the penthouse and like there's people and they have food. And he's like, they're just throwing food everywhere. They're having a huge party and it's like salami on the wall. He's like, you know, there's food and you and your people are standing on the outside. He's like in the beginning, you're going to be singing like we're hungry, want some food. We're hungry, mm-hmm. want some food. And he's like mm-hmm. after about a week the 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 cadence of that will change to you know we're hungry we need some food and it's like after about two to three weeks he's like oh we're gonna bang down the door give us the food Then it's like after yeah. about six months to a year he's gonna be like I'm breaking the lock busting through coming in blasting like he was like we're fed up and he was like we started asking as a black community with the Panthers and he was like a lot of those people were assassinated they were thwarted by the government so he was like we're at the point now where are like we've been asking for decades and asking doesn't work anymore Right. And so like this is like a very small snippet of how he just had this like incisive view into society. And I would really th- I think he was far more of a philosopher than a hip hop artist.
0: Yeah. Um, how how would you actually define philosophy? Like, how do you talk about it?
1: Yes. Good question. So I always say for me, you know, I'm not an academic philosopher, but I studied philosophy. Um, and. I always say that I have philosophia. So philosophy literally means like a love of knowledge or love of wisdom. Yeah. And I think for me, philosophy is trying to find where the intersections and joints between disciplines are and how to ask in a lot of ways, the unanswerable questions. Um, Mm. You know, as they say, like, you know, science can tell you how to, you know, cure diseases and build nuclear weapons and go to space. But philosophy will ask if any of that is actually a good idea, who it'll impact and how right. we can distribute those things equitably.
0: Right. Um,
1: so, yeah, that's how I, def- I would define it.
0: Yeah. It sort of my sense when I started getting into like really getting into science was that, you know, I started hearing a bunch of very, very intelligent people um, you know talking about what they were up to in the world and i would sit in lectures and it would be the most boring thing i've ever heard and i'd be like i know that this is actually fascinating but like you don't seem to have a concept of like why this is important to a public um mm-hmm. you know someone beyond someone that can like look at a graph and chart and understand what you're talking about like um so yeah like there's this i think a deep need For that sort of translation work, which I think folks like you who are like polymathic in nature, just sort of naturally do. Um, And so it makes sense to me that like you're you're the kind of person who's like concerned with the philosophical bent of those things, but also that like rap makes sense as a philosophical medium because right like historically it comes out of a group of people that are asking those questions like trying to place and like make sense of a world that has often not given them space or resources in order to thrive
1: yeah and even like when i think about like the roots of hip-hop right starting in in like the bronx and, and harlem and new york and like it really came from people like not having resources and like even like beatboxing, right? Like this idea of just like making percussion with your mouth because like you don't have a drum set, you don't have whatever, you just have the resources that you have. And so I think so much beauty of of the black and and, and many brown communities is like just doing with, you know, what you have and making oftentimes very magical things or at least moving things out out of that.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, what's interesting, too, is that that's sort of like a definition of creativity, right? Like there's some sort of quote about like imagination or creativity. That's like, you know, creativity happens when you have to create something out of like, you know, like creativity happens within boundaries, meaning, you know, like if you've got an entire world at your feet, you don't have a lot of need to be creative. But when there are boundaries there, you have to start actually creating new ways to operate. So it makes sense to me that it's like an art form, you know, that was bred out of a place that was like we got to work with what we have.
1: I think where it gets dangerous though is this idea of. So I think about what you what you just said reminded me. There's this uh, this Indian word, uh, this in, this I think it's in Hindi uh, called jugad, which is like that very idea, right? Of just like MacGyvering something and making mm. something magical out of it. Mm-hmm. But I think the danger of that is. That like, for example, like I've been into like photography and videography for a really long time Uh and I sometimes would like be on social media and like I would look at some like really amazing photo or video and I'm like, man, that is really amazing. How do I get, you know, how do I get that same effect that this person has gotten? Uh And like I would try to like, you know, think about like lighting and the settings, all these different things. And like finally it came to a point where I was like, I actually don't think it's possible without buying this like $2,000 lens that this person has. And so I think sometimes like there's a line with creativity where like certain resources actually do allow you to unleash your creativity in different ways. And it's my wish that more people have access to really bring those dreams into fruition in a big way.
0: Right. Of course. Yeah. I mean, there's a huge part of creativity that's like, I mean, being working artists is like such usually um, held up in society by privilege that you right. have to have enough resources in order to actually do your creativity because we don't really resource creativity the way that we resource other professions. Right. Yeah. Is Do you feel like rap and sort of philosophy things are how you, like one of the first ways that you really started to think in this polymathic way or like where do you feel like you started to like realize your own polymathy, I guess? Like where did you mm. l- learn... Where did you start to recognize that, like, you really love combining things together like that, like spotting the patterns mm. between them?
1: Smashing atoms, as I call Smashing it. Smashing atoms, um, yeah. I mean, I'm gonna be honest. I really have always been that way, even when I was a kid. I mean, I probably annoyed my parents and um, my teachers, but like, I was like the kid running around in like fourth grade, being like, I'm trying to read this book about dinosaurs. Then I'm trying to read this thing about, you know the, the Perseid constellation. Then I'm trying to read about like this old math theorem. I'm trying to read, you know, hop on pop. And, um, I have just like always had an interest in a lot of different things. And I feel like, to be honest, that's really not unique to me. I feel like most human beings have pretty varying interests. It's just that at a certain point, I think society puts enough pressure on you, on us to say, oh, you can't do that anymore, especially when it comes to like our professional life and our professional persona. Yeah. um, Which, you know, the word persona literally comes from the word mask. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I guess I just never really got to that point because I would always be just like referencing one one thing in another environment. And so for me, it really started, I was a huge speech and debate nerd in high school and I became like a nationally ranked extemporaneous speaker. And so basically what that means is, you know, you would walk into a room and they, you would have like these bins of like, you know, economist magazines and newspaper clippings and, you know, academic research and and music and all these different things. And you would just get a question. It would be like, what does, you know, UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon think his policy should be about the Rwandan genocide? And you would have 20 minutes to prepare a compelling seven minute speech about that basically on the fly. And so you'd have to just like tear through all these things, think, yeah, you had freestyle, literally. And it was like, you would do multiple rounds of this every day. And so like, this was like, you know, I would compete in tournaments and like, I would do this every weekend, did this for years. And so like, not only was I doing it competitively, but like, you know, I would be in, you know, hanging out with my coach, and she'd be like, "All right, like, you know, this is how you need to improve. This, I need to do this. Like, mm-hmm. you're not doing good enough storytelling. You're not like pulling in enough themes from this. Like, this part is too dry. Your body language is this." And so, I was always thinking like, there was always a a combination of like, okay, yes, you need the information, but you also need like these narration. I'd I, I'd have often these like turns of phrases that I would get from like pop culture that I had influence and throw in there, and yeah. so. It was like this cauldron where like that's kind of, yeah, it's probably where like the the mad scientist lab coat first got put on, where I was like, I have to really throw all these different ingredients and make something compelling. So,
0: yeah, I, I love that. I, I agree, though, too. I mean, I think there's such an economic pressure to sort of narrow focus on what we're interested in and what we do for a career in order to, quote unquote, you know, like to make money, you um, you know, I do think there is an element about it that's, you know, some people are more naturally just sort of interested in one particular field and others are interested in a lot more like the David Epstein stuff. And also like um, my friend Lauren would, you know, is like a Myers-Briggs expert and would be like, yeah, but like intuitives or some sort of, um, you know, combination on the like Myers-Briggs spectrum or whatever are just like more naturally, you um, pattern spotters. So I, I would yeah. guess that you're, a you're probably an intuitive is my, is my guess. I'm really bad at knowing those things, but like, um, I would feel like you're intuitive probably and that you just have a natural innate ability to be spotter spotting patterns and making connections between stuff
1: too. I am intuitive. Um, that is intuitive of you. Um, yeah. And like, I think it is, it does occur to me naturally. And like, you know, it's so funny how like, when you grow up in a certain way you just kind of assume that everybody more or less kind of thinks in a you know somewhat similar or their minds right, work the same way in a somewhat similar fashion but like i came to realize at some point in my adulthood i was like oh actually most people actually don't really think like this um but yeah i love spotting patterns and like i do it naturally but also i practice it where i'm like oh yeah what are the what is the connective tissue between these two disciplines and what can I learn? Because I, I learned so much by thinking about how to apply the principles of one discipline right. to another. And I get so much joy and real progress from that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I think I could say with confidence that that's sort of how we became friends <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> I think we naturally noticed somehow, I don't know where it first, ha- oh, I guess it was, so I met you at the Tilt West round table mm-hmm. where we were, yeah. of course, in a setting where we were being asked to mash atoms together. <laughs> uh, I think yes. the topic was art and language which makes sense because you're a language person. You like words. I also really like words. So I get pretty geeky about those things. Um, Yeah. But yeah, what would you say you do in the world now? Like what's your, I don't know, job, role, like titles? (laughs) It's so hard for polymathic people, but like, what do you do in the world?
1: Yeah, so I would, what I would say is I use the power of words and storytelling to help cultivate humanity. And so I am very, you know fortunate to say that I get to use my imagination for a living. So um, I'm an artist and, and creative and uh, my usual medium is um, in writing and performance art. Mm-hmm. And so um, yeah, I'll work on you know essays and creative writing, and then I'll also you know work on theater pieces and, and music. And so that is sort of like my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, I'll get to step out into a couple other creative mediums that's really that are really fun. But at the same time, I also like, and, you know, that's pretty much how I you know make my living. And I, there's also an important nexus point for me in having conversations and facilitating conversations with the public around social issues. Right. Because mm-hmm. I think art and creativity, ultimately, it's about. Social issues. And so, you know, I've been an organizer for TEDx and I've worked with a number of museums and cultural institutions and city governments to have conversations, usually through a creative lens, on how, you know, art and creativity can build more, you know, humane societies, more humane cities, how we can mm-hmm. advocate for creative, um, for equity and creative labor. And so I'm really interested in hosting these sorts of conversations. And you know, I'll do that. I do that, you know, oftentimes as a as a volunteer or just um, because it, it, it feeds my cup. But yeah, um, yeah, I would say that a lot of my work is linked by the drive for story. So I hope yeah. let me know how I did.
0: Yeah, what do you feel like is the thing that you think is so important about these intersections of uh, freestyle rap and philosophy?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there are so many intersections. Um, so philosophy at the I think at its core is about trying to make meaning of life and to communicate ideas that sometimes like are not necessarily the most popular in society or are about like trying to ask questions that again like don't really have straightforward answers uh-huh. and I really think that like Hip hop and freestyle are are, are also about that in many ways where like you can find, you know, content in a rap lyric and a freestyle lyric about literally anything you can, you know, freestyle about, you know, science and astronomy, you can freestyle about. Um, you know, death and you can feel all about dragons and Pokemon, like, and in some way you can link all those things together. And in philosophy, I feel like it's the same way, right? You, you can have phenomenology and, and deontology and ethics and aesthetics and pull all these different pieces together to try to make sense of like, what is my experience of the world mm-hmm. and how can I relay that in a way that's valuable to other people? Yeah. And then the second thing that I would say is, I think philosophy is really about trying to be present in the moment that you're living in while also like having a view for the sort of grander scheme of like time and and life Mm -hmm. and I think freestyle is the exact same way we're like freestyle is all about being present in the moment because you have to be thinking about like what's in true freestyle I know there's some so there's nuance in freestyle right we're like there's like off the top freestyle for those who don't know a lot about it, where it's like people literally making things up in their mind on the spot. There's another, you know, kind of style of freestyle where like people will take lyrics from songs that they've pre-written and Mm -hmm. and they'll kind of mix and mash them up. Yeah. Um, So I mean sort of more of the improvisational kind of freestyle. It really requires you to be present in the moment to understand like what's going on, but also to be able to link ideas, that may not be immediately obvious to your listener or to your other co, you know, MCs and hopefully bring a moment of delight or insight or whatever into the space.
0: Well, isn't that just fitting? (laughs) Like freestyle itself is a genre all about linking things together that, yeah, surprise, delight and probably inform people, like give an insight on life that someone might not have thought of if they hadn't paired those two things together.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. And
1: I think that, you know, in the same way, you know, how you sort of share a quote in the beginning of each of your episodes. Like, you know, when one scrolls through any social media feed, there will be some quote from some philosopher at some time. And like very often, very often people will be like, oh, yeah, I feel, you know, I feel seen by that or I feel understood. And freestyle is like the same way where like you'll say something in a lyric. Someone's like, oh, yeah. I really felt that, you know, <laughs> I, I felt really seen by you saying that. Yeah. So, uh, I also see, yeah, that, that ability as well. Yeah.
0: It's like a way of a way that humans, I mean, I think that's when, again, like I think when I started getting into science, cause I had been in art for most of my life and you said earlier, you know, um, about certain, you know, art, artists not being really perceived as intelligent. And right. I think I've mentioned it maybe even in the, I think it was in the David Epstein interview where I sort of talk about the story of like my family and how, uh, actually I was at dinner the other night with my dad and we were, he was driving me home and, uh, we had this conversation cause I was like, um, referring to how smart I think he is because so often in our family there's this like running joke that my grandfather who went to Princeton and teaches math uh, at a university in California and my aunt who's like a d- double doctorate in philosophy and Slavic languages and my grandfather who was a chemical engineer and my grandmother who was a teacher and you know taught several different subjects um my dad and I I think it was my grandmother who at some point like, said that my dad and I were the creative side of the family, which was, like, mm. sort of a knock on our intelligence. Like, everyone else mm. were the smart people, and we were the creatives. And I don't even know mm. the origin of that. Like, I don't know if that's actually the, the con, like, the way that she intended that. Um, mm. Like, she could have intended it like a compliment, and my dad just heard it like a knock. But regardless, it started this story that, for years, my dad would say that, and I would, you know, I sort of thought the same thing, but at some point realized like, you know, (laughs) i uh, I think generally a pretty intelligent person. And my father also like, uh, you know, works in computer and, uh, like computer networking and knows like languages. I can't even get my mind around. Like most people don't understand Mm. actually how computers talk to each other. And my father is Mm. like brilliant at that. And, so i was like it's just it's a different kind but like she said that because like he plays guitar and he has for basically his whole life and you know he does music and i draw and paint and do these other things that were always seen as very artistic um of course but no one really thought of us as the intelligent folks and so i spent a lot of my life you know starting out in more of like artistic pursuits and also like like you like socially minded i was more concerned about like the implications of art on social situate you know situations uh and the impact of that and how we actually like for me i think the philosophy comes in from a place of like a constant desire in my life to wonder um how does the way that we structure society and uh like how does our art also in the storytelling that we do impact the way that we think of other people and the way that we create policy and you know like how do we build society in a way that like is actually impacted by the way that we think about each other and art has a lot to say about that and those sorts of things um but yeah when i started really digging into science was the first time i went like oh like art science and philosophy or religion or like whatever sort of like you know bucket that speaks to the sort of um grander wise traditions of our lives or whatever i like at some point realize that they were all different languages for asking like why are we here what does it matter and how do we live today and into the future yeah. um so yeah that of course that makes a lot of sense and i think that's so interesting to think about freestyle as like a yeah philosophical not just in content but also in form
1: yeah definitely um and yeah isn't that so interesting that like um i can't remember if if this was in your conversation with david epstein or not but you know, even this idea of how some of the most successful physicists and scientists were highly, highly creative. Yeah. Um, and that helped to influence the way that they were able to link ideas together and right. to be in, in, in these sort of free form ways. And like some of the greatest physicists have been like, you need a lot of imagination to be a physicist. Yeah. Because like... It's literally your idea to think of theories that do not exist to explain, you know, things that are fundamental to our world. Right.
0: Like naturally, if we if you're looking for scientific breakthrough and we've not discovered something yet, you have to think outside of what anybody has thought of yet, which is naturally <laughs> right. a spirit of imagination. Um, so, yeah.
1: Yeah. One other thing. One thing that I would say is, you know, back in the day in, in the old greek tradition they had the stoa right it was like this uh this building this place in the middle of the city square where people would come together and you know basically philosophers would just jam with each other about (laughs) like um different philosophical topics and that's why actually for people who follow stoicism Mm -hmm. that's where the word stoic comes from literally from the stoa yeah and when i think about like for example plato's symposium uh, a text that I've read more times than I can count, if you want to talk about any, Anyone ever wants to talk to me about Aristophanes and love and Glaucon, all these different people. But, I mean, let's do um, it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Aristotle's Symposium is just the Greek version of a freestyle rap cipher. That is what it is. What's a rap like, cipher? When you, so great question, ready? What is a rap cipher? So a freestyle cipher is when... Uh, rappers, MCs, come together. And literally oftentimes you will very literally stand in a circle or sit in a circle and Uh someone will play a beat and people will just rap and they will pass the mic either literally sometimes or proverbially they'll pass the mic to each other Uh and everyone will create basically a freestyle experience together. So you'll, like, play off of people. You'll, you know, someone will finish saying a line. Someone else will jump in. Sometimes people will rap about the same topic. And so it's just, like, a a little, like, rap jam session. Um, And it, like, is, like, yeah, it's so interesting to see, like, how themes emerge and how, you know, competition sometimes can emerge. And, you know, people Mm -hmm. start, like, having, you know, contests with each other and, and they'll... Pass ideas back and forth. And and so, yeah, I think when I think about philosophical, you know, circles and symposia, it's like, yeah, this is just this is just the ancient version of the cipher.
0: Yeah. So I'm assuming like Aristotle and his crew like would get together and like sit in a circle and just like philosophize.
1: Yeah. They just jam on ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Which
0: is so funny because I'm thinking about, you know, where we met in the context of like tilt West and a round table discussion, which for anyone listening who doesn't have any idea what that is, is just like a gathering, I think of about 30 people in a room. And it's always a topic that's art plus something. So, uh, like I said before, you and I met in an art plus language conversation and I think it's so funny because oftentimes I feel like the sort of contention with those, whether it's tilt West or anything that's sort of similar, where you're just gathering a group of people to sit in a circle and talk about things, people are, I think often like, what is the point of that? Like we don't come out with solutions. Like this just feels like, um, navel gazing sort of, and Mm. to me, I think that's so interesting because I think like, I don't engage in this discussion because I want an answer. I'm here because the questions right. are so fun, you know, to like yeah. do that sort of freestyling where like someone says something and then it's like, oh, that triggered something else. I thought of this connection and then someone else brings something else up into the conversation. And, you know, like, like always I was in that like round table and I brought up a rival because I was like we're talking about languages and the way that language shapes the way that we see the world and like that makes so much sense to me and then you know at the end of it you and Natalie and some other folks like came up to me to be like oh my gosh like I totally see that we get it I love that movie it's so incredible you know so like I love those situations because not only does it foster um, interesting thought like I actually used to I've been I was that just reminded me of I used to be really involved in the local food movement scene here in Denver Mm. and uh, food security stuff. And often there was this organization that for years, every month, once a month, would just bring together everyone in the food, like local food community for a potluck. And it was so fascinating, Mm. not just because we ate together and like would make connections naturally that way. But at some point when we had all sat down to eat, they would have each individual stand up and say what their name was and what they did in the world or like what projects they were working on. And the amount of like connections that got made between like, Oh, you're a a bee person and I'm a wine person. And I like, I do Koji and soil over here. And you know, like the, It's like you've just been in the experience house, right? You see this sort of like these connections being made, not just socially, but also like in projects then that come together and go like, oh, what you're doing would actually align really well with what I'm doing. Even though we have two totally different specializations, I can see something happening here. And so I don't think it's navel gazing when it's actually like. It is doing some sort of social connection where, I mean, we wouldn't be having this conversation probably if you and I hadn't like really bonded over a rival, you know, like in that conversation. And also just like the inherent, I think, value of sitting around and talking about the nature of life, you know, like I think I think there's value in that and questioning why we're here. And, you know, again, like not with an intention necessarily to come out with some sort of like we have solved life's mysteries but like actually having a public forum and i think you know i've actually been having a lot of conversation with people recently that have been talking about politics here especially in the us that like it feels like we've lost a public forum like Mm -hmm. there is no informed reasoned debate amongst each other And, you know, like it's mostly performance. Like we see political, you know, like presidential campaigns or something where it feels like people just go up and they perform the role that they're supposed to perform and just sort of like say all the things that they know that their party really cares about and like argue with someone on stage. But there's no real public dialogue about like really working out in public with each other what life, what we want life to look like. And so I think that's interesting that like, you know freestyle and rap actually still hold that tradition in a way that I think a lot of places don't.
1: Absolutely. And I would add to that that for those who might think to themselves what's the point of of having that? I think it's also a forum to come upon ideas or ways of engaging with the world that you otherwise wouldn't have access to or wouldn't think of, you mm-hmm. know. And I think freestyle is interesting in that way where You know, when you walk into a cypher, especially when it's like a lot of different kinds of freestylers, MCs, and especially nowadays, like, you know, because of, um, you know, Broadway musicals and, uh, you know, Hollywood and a lot of, you know, different large media outlets uh, and social outlets in society embracing hip hop in a a much different way. Mm. I feel like it's become a lot more acceptable to just like, because I feel like back in the day it was like people like, oh, you engage in rap. It's like. You know people thought they had a certain perception of you right but now it's like anybody literally anybody it's like it's like ratatouille anyone can cook like anybody can rap <laughs> and so nowadays like being in a cypher is fascinating because i'm like oh my god you have a a silicon valley guy who you know works for a tech startup next to this like brooklyn mc next to this like stand-up comedian and they're all engaging in a different way. And I always think to myself sometimes, like even like stylistically, like what people do, I'm like, man, I never would have thought about that. It. Yeah. It's so interesting. And so philosophy, I feel like is the same thing, right? Where like, if you were a stoic philosopher, if you were, um, you know, Zeno or something, and you came upon Epicurus, who's talking about like, you know, happiness and having a life based on happiness. Uh-huh. Whereas like stoicism is about like, you know, having a sort of sense of detachment from life. It's like, how are these two ideas going to mix together? I don't know. But um, that's the the forum for those ideas to sort of uh, to meet and sometimes maybe even clash a little bit.
0: Yeah. And really speaks also to the value of diversity, right? Because if you're... Yes. Like in, in all the, its ways, right? Because if you're just sitting in a cipher where everyone is basically coming from the same place, then there's not a lot of ability to like bring in stuff from other genres or styles or whatever. And so the... The the beat just basically stays the same for lack of a better way to put it. Like it just, um, so bringing in a range of diverse voices actually helps. Yeah, fuel creativity because it's making much more interesting, wild, atom smashing. Like you said earlier.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think you did a, you do a freestyle workshop sometime last year with a neuroscientist.
1: What was that about? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So I I teamed up with, so back when I was in college, uh, I had a a very close group of friends that that we called the freestyle team. And we would get together um, literally five or six days a week and freestyle for hours about anything uh that we could think of and and eventually you know people would just come to uh, i was in a fraternity at the time people would just come to our fraternity house and just like you know sit on our couches and just like ask us to freestyle about whatever yeah Um, and then it it spiraled into more and more things but um one of my friends who uh was was on this freestyle team very close friend of mine named graham um i called him up and I was like, I think that we should do a workshop on freestyling, and I had just been doing um, these roundtable conversations during the pandemic, these digital roundtables, um, even it can happen digitally, mm-hmm. uh, on this place called Interintellect, and connected with um, a number of neuroscientists there, but uh, but uh, one in particular who I pitched the idea to. He's like, Yeah, this is you know super interesting, and so. Um, I basically told him kind of like the research and he pointed me in some directions about how to uh, go deeper into, you know, the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex and the medial prefrontal cortex and all this research on what happens in the brain when you're improvising and freestyling. Mm. And so uh, my friend and I, we put together this workshop where um, I took this research and we had a couple of of neuroscientists like on the call. uh, And we led this workshop where we talked about the science of, Improv and freestyle, and then we led an actual like hour long freestyle workshop where we gave people the building blocks, and then by the end, we had them freestyle, and then we checked in with them from how they felt in the beginning to how they felt in the end after you know learning what was happening uh-huh. and engaging and all that. So
0: that's very cool.
1: Yeah, it's um, good fun.
0: Is there anything else right now that you feel like you're mashing together that's getting you really excited? Or, like, even other people that are mashing cool things together that are inspiring you?
1: Yeah, there are so many mashers out there. Um, I'm sure
0: your list, like mine, is very long. <laughs> recently, someone who comes to mind, or just any project that you might be working on, or like creative ideas that you're mashing together that's getting really, that you really pumped.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, I have been working on this one man show uh, that actually I've been able to. Uh, refine here in morocco which has been amazing and the the basically the concept of it is it's a it, it's a piece about identity and it basically is revolving around the idea of the african griot so the african griot was the the storytelling bridge between basically like the the old stories of of humanity and culture and the mm. you know the living mm. and the people who want to hear those stories And so Mm -hmm. I basically put this performance together where I invited, you know, an audience to come and share their personal narratives. And I combined principles from, you know, playback theater, improvisational theater, music. I had original music. I had old spirituals. Um, There was sort of a fable arc in it and just sort of creating this, like, immersive world for people where I was sort of giving them these, like, mythical identities. And... You know, the the reception was extremely positive and I've actually been trying to I just got a grant to like kind of work on this project some more. And so uh, I've been like raising a little bit of money to to uh, to sort of add on to it. But I've been really excited about this um, and there's a number of other things that I'm working on. I feel like all of my work in some way is is atom smashing, but um, I'm really excited about that. Um, People, humans who are smashing atoms. I think about a friend that I met uh, in this experience um, who's become a a fast friend of mine. His name is uh, Von Wong. Uh, You can look him up anywhere at Von Wong. (laughs) And he is, I mean, I just remember the first time I met him, he showed me some of his work and I was like, wow, this this is truly remarkable. So he is this amazing installation artist who takes like plastics and repurposes them into these, or plastics and other like, you know, um, used goods and repurposes them into these, like, kind of crazy, like, mythical photos. And so, for cool. example, he has a Guinness World Record for a few years ago, he got 168,000 plastic straws, wow. and he made them into this, like, cool, like, almost, like, coastal cresting wave, and he had, like, a little boy, like, walking through wow. the wave, and he, like, did this, like, kind of mythical photo that, that went, like, crazy viral, and... um just this, the atom smashing that he does between like installation, art, photography. He's the man I was talking about. He used to be an engineer, like engineering, videography, um, sustainability, climate change, I think is just like super, super yeah, fascinating. That's so cool. And yeah, and you know, he and I were just geeking out because uh, he's in a documentary right now about climate and sustainability and, and Ryan Reynolds is like narrating his story. And so... <laughs> um, uh, it's fun cool. stuff. And so he does, he's definitely someone that I think of. And um, I think about one other person who comes to mind is um, this poet friend of mine named Max Stossel. He's sort of, you know, is smashing these atoms together of, he's been doing a lot of work with Gen Z. He was actually one of the people, one of the original people working at the Center for Humane Technology, which was mm-hmm. featured in The Social Dilemma. Yep. And uh, he's been working at this sort of nexus between helping teens navigate the philosophy behind technology and uh, social media use and what it means when it's like embedded into your yeah. life with like poetry and videography. And he's just coming out with this like really cool kind of like Bo Burnham meets like spoken word um, video special. And so, um, yeah, just like some really cool Adam Smashers that uh, I'm always happy to shout out.
0: Yeah, so. you mentioned just really quickly the, um Number one, you're in Morocco and, uh, quote unquote, this experience. Can you explain what you've been doing there?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I came here, uh, for this experience, uh, called actually the experience house called experience house Uh, experience house is basically. So, okay. I got to take a step back, right? Because I think I always try to think about how I would listen to something if I didn't know anything about it. And like, I'm always very sensitive to being like, you know, this sounds like some crazy, like, you know, hippie or weird or esoteric or whatever. And so I was, let me just say it in as plainly, in as plain English as possible. So Experience House is a month long experience where uh, approximately between 20 and 30 people from all manner of disciplines, whether that's, you know, writing, science, art, et cetera, come together to live in a place for a month and to do different experiences, to design experiences that they wouldn't have been able to do in any other environment. So basically, it is literally a laboratory of many multidisciplinary individuals to come together and smash atoms. So for example, there was, um, you know, someone threw a surprise Moroccan wedding where you know, there was a couple who was going to renew their vows. And so they brought together like, you know, African musicians and traditional like, you know, Moroccan, um, you know, those uh, Moroccan. Um, I don't even know what they're called, but they're basically like the the platforms you carry the, the bride and groom on. Right. And like there was a Moroccan hammam. And so we did like cultural exchange. You know, there was, um, you know, people did concerts in a Moroccan hammam. There was... Um, you know, masterminding and meditation. We did a silent meditation in the Sahara desert where people literally went off in the desert in silence for hours and did like reflecting and prompts. And so it it was a place for people to just think about how do I create a remarkable experience for not only the people here, but how can I take something that I've tested here and bring it out into the world in some way that's relevant to the work that I do.
0: A different kind of freestyle. And
1: so that um, that is what I have been doing. That's
0: awesome. Cool. Well, do you, um, do you feel like there's anything we left out that you would want to make sure that everyone uh, really gets about the intersections of freestyle and philosophy?
1: Yeah, I would, um, yeah, I would say, I would say a few more things, um, or, or just a couple things in brief, which is, like, I think about a couple of my favorite philosophers, one of them being Heidegger, and Heidegger was very concerned with, like, this idea of the sublime and just like being also actually one of his most famous books is called being and time, Mm -hmm. but just this idea of how can I have an experience that elevates where I think I belong in the world and an experience of awe and connection and going back to this idea of neuroscience when we're improvising when we're freestyling what Turns off in our brain is the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, which is about like inhibition, mm-hmm. self-judgment, all the narratives that we get. And what lights up is the medial prefrontal cortex, which is about pure connection, imagination, connectivity, wow. dreaming, creation. And when you're in that space, you can co-create awe with people. And so when I think about like freestyling, I don't only think about it in the sense of like we have to put on a beat and we're all rapping, et cetera. But it's like, sometimes you're just in a conversation and you're just vibing to someone or like, yeah, let's freestyle together. Let's just see where these ideas are going. You and I are kind of freestyling in a sense right now. And so um, I think that it's not something like for anyone who wants to bring the energy of freestyling into their life, into their work, it's not something that has to be restricted to a rap cypher or to some academics you know waxing philosophic late at night over a glass of wine it can be in any environment and that's really the beauty of it that it's literally for anyone and everyone at any time
0: yeah okay so who are your favorite rappers and philosophers
1: so one of my favorite rappers kendrick um i feel like he's in the tupac lineage of really being kind <laughs> Kendrick of a Lamar. Day. yeah yes kendrick yeah. lamar excuse me yes um yep kendrick lamar He's basically just a modern-day hip-hop philosopher. I think that's so interesting
0: because, I um, mean, who you're naming, and I'm sure part of why you're naming them is because they're popular, but I think part of why they're popular is because they actually are philosophers. Like everyone you've named so far are people who culturally hit an incredibly sensitive nerve who are speaking to something that really resonates with people. And I'm going Mm -hmm. to guess that part of that is because they are people who are, yeah, asking those bigger questions and um, something that, Yeah, it just hits at something deeper for people.
1: Yeah. Um, And, you know, there's so many, like, you know, lesser known MCs and and hip-hop artists who I, you know, would always shout out to the end of time. But, yeah, I think for for a conversation like this, like, these sort of easily grasped names are are sometimes a bit easier. Um, I think about, I love Black Thought from The Roots. Mm -hmm. Um, He's amazing. And actually, all The Roots, Quest, all of them. Uh, Questlove, all of them. Um, MC Solar, who is uh, probably the most well-known, well-respected French rapper of like the 90s and early 2000s. Um, I grew up, you know, being an African person listening to a lot of French Mm -hmm. rap. And so um, he is just an incredible MC. Uh, Philosophers, let's see. um, I'm a big fan of Aristotle. Um, Aristotle's my boy in many (laughs) ways. Uh, Voltaire, um, Emerson, Ralph Waldo Emerson um Wittgenstein
0: why do you feel like those folks resonate for you as philosophers
1: yeah so I mean Aristotle let me start like, what do you Aristotle? think they I share like I guess Aristotle. is sort of
0: how I would say that just to like yeah.
1: yeah 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 I think the thread between them is so some philosophers even nowadays and actually this is probably even a bigger problem nowadays than it was back then because now there's like there's a huge divide between what's called continental philosophy and analytic philosophy. So continental philosophy is like what we, what we think of as philosophy, like people thinking about big ideas, movements, etc. Analytic philosophy though, yeah. is like, you know, philosophy of logic. And so it's very like mathematical, very scientific. You even literally use uh-huh. math symbols in it to like make right. logical proofs. And nowadays when you go into academia, generally all people care about is analytical philosophy, which I feel like mm-hmm. is actually kind of unfortunate. Um, and so what, for me, the threat of all these individuals is, you know, I'm a storyteller and you know, what's funny, Brandy, is when you walk into, for anyone who's listening, when you walk into a class where they're teaching playwriting or screenwriting or really anything that is narratively based novels, et cetera, one of the first things they will do is they will hand you a book called The Poetics. And they were like, if you want to learn about screenwriting, if you want to learn about how to make a Hollywood film, a Hollywood film, read the Mm -hmm. Poetics. Who wrote the Poetics? Aristotle. (laughs) So a lot of people don't know that like the basis of you watching The Dark Knight Mm -hmm. is because some screenwriter read Aristotle at some point in like college or writing school or whatever. And so the fact that like one man could have such a profound impact on these ideas of ethics and government and law but also in art and all these different fields Voltaire similarly and Emerson and others similarly is just absolutely fascinating to me and the fact that like they were drawing these connections because one they had the the perception and intuition but two because they could and I think that that's amazing and that life shouldn't be siloed into these you know different Mm -hmm. spheres that it's always in conversation
0: yeah even just that like reminded me i mean a second ago like i was saying like i think you choosing kendrick and tupac like these folks like i think it seems clear that part of why they resonate so deeply with culture is because they actually uh their their rap or their art form is built on a philosophy whether or not people realize it or not and i think the same thing holds true with some of our most powerful movies the i think that when we remember a movie or it resonates profoundly or a TV series or something like largely, I think it's because it's built on a type of philosophy or at the very least is speaking to something that's deeply resonant. Like, I mean, part of why I grew to love star Wars when, as I got older, was because I started to realize it like, oh, there's like a mythos and you know, like this is built on an enduring myth of humanity and that's why it seems to do so well financially and commercially you know that like that's not the reason it's being done necessarily but like some of the most powerful art is built on deep resonant through line i mean it's why most storytelling you know you hear uh the hero's journey like there's something in myth and philosophy that actually speaks to deep meaning about being human and if you don't i think that makes sense that like when you're training and playwriting that you're actually like the first, it makes sense that the one of the first things that you teach people is like you got to know actually uh, about philosophy and storytelling like how you actually communicate deep resonant ideas with people it makes a ton of sense to me and yeah. yeah i think part of me has always been and in a way that i think i hear you talking about that your love of um theater that I have always loved, um, like media, like movie and television and visual storytelling in part because I find it to be one of the most powerful moving ways to like actually mass sort of, um, affect a group of people. And if that's Mm. true, then certainly it has been used for evil, quote unquote, but it can be used for good. And like, how can we use that form of storytelling to actually like create significant change and... You know, like one of my first, my first interview episode was with my friend Shannon, who uh, teaches environment and film. And, you know, I, in part of that conversation, we talk about, I can't remember if it got cut actually, but we at some point talked about um, uh, Chernobyl, the HBO show. I don't know if you've seen, mm. but like it was one of the more yeah, powerful yeah. things I've seen on that affected me about climate change and also just in general, like the state of the US and how we talk, like how we ignore the truth and all kinds of things, um, which is all just like a long rant to say that, yeah, I think our most powerful art is actually largely done by incredibly t- intelligent people, like whether they knew it or not, we're building that art form on top of a um, a deep philosoph- philosophical uh, lens.
1: I agree 100%. And I would say, I would go so far as to say that. If anybody has had a profound, like world changing impact, I would almost always categorize them as a philosopher. Like when I think about like Richard Feynman, I'm like, yep, he's a philosopher. Like, I think all the people who get to the level of humanity, they always have to like, they use the lens of philosophy through the prism of whatever their particular discipline is. Right. And so, um, I a hundred percent agree.
0: Are there any projects that you're working on right now, now that you're done with experience house or things that are coming out soon?
1: Yeah, for sure. So for the last six months or so, I have been working on this project with WBUR Boston, they are the national NPR station in Boston, and they have a podcast called Last Scene, which is about people, places and things that have been lost, both literally and metaphorically. And I've been working on an episode about the year of Africa. That was a year when 17 African nations in 1960 declared their independence in the same year, and it was led by Congo. And uh, actually, my great-grandfather was one of the people in the first free government of mm. Congo. And so I have been able to do an episode interviewing a number of, uh, you know, people who were involved at the time. I got to do some original music, some narration. And so I kind of made it like a, an artistic uh, sort of lyric homage to this time. And this very, I mean, Leopoldville, the capital of Congo at the time, Kinshasa now, was so vibrant. I mean, like... There were just swanky jazz bars and like film noir. They had the first electric bus in the world. It was really an innovative place. And I feel like that beauty of Africa has been lost. And so I'm excited Mm -hmm. for that to come out. And of course it ends with a freestyle, which is very fun.
0: Okay. Well, in similar fashion, would you close us out with a freestyle?
1: Sure. All right. So as you like to ask questions, I like to do a couple rapid fire questions before I begin. So. Brandy, if you could have any superpower, what would your superpower be? And why, if, if you're willing to share just a little, just a little statement about why.
0: Uh, fitting to what we're talking about today, I would be able yeah. to read everything in like a flip, you know, like sort of a cartoon, like you could flip a book and I could just read and like retain basically everything I think sort of that combination mm. because I think being someone who is also in love with knowledge that I would just love to crush mm. like every book around me that I wanted to read in a short amount of time mm. though I'm af- I'm afraid of course that that would take away the love of it you know that the, the slowness of it is part mm. of the joy um, but yeah I think yeah for the purposes of this conversation I think that's probably the most fitting answer actually
1: mm. okay and then uh you have to be stuck on a desert island you only get one form of media for the rest of your Ooh. life um and one thing so like you only get one movie or one oh. book what are that's you bringing easy. With arrival <laughs> arrival that's lit oh wow that's- yeah
0: i think well i okay, mean cool. is that what you mean like um yeah I mean, you know, know that is
1: what i mean exactly like, like I you just i'd be have to- able to
0: bring like one dvd or something
1: yeah exactly 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 yeah. yeah. yep, yep. yeah cool
0: yeah we're gonna stick with arrival
1: Cool. And then last quick question I have for you. What is like your ultimate comfort food? Like if you're just like feeling down and you need to pick me up, what do you, what do you go to?
0: It's either pizza or ice cream.
1: (laughs) Okay. Those are both (laughs) classics. Nothing
0: too special there.
1: Cool. Cool. Great. All right. So it's a sensation with Brandy here. Beautiful conversations. We are going in. I am tipping my hat because we are jumping in. It is this plus that. That is where we go and connect the ideas, where we come back and we go from flow to you and me. Yeah. And I'm saying this is where we connect. This is the place where beautiful minds intersect. So let's step back and let's outlast because we're getting on the airwaves on the podcast. And no, I'm saying we got to get the knowledge and it's for the philosophy outside of the college so I'm gonna go in, I'm not gonna stop it, we are going, we're getting a little philosophic because you know, I just had to flow it, I could be Tupac, Kendrick, or maybe a stoic like Zeno, it's free flow, we are stepping back, because right now it's always love, never on the attack, because right now I'm just asking, what are you knowing them, when you in a cipher, that's the freestyle symposium, we are getting back, I'm saying, get on the wine, this is the place where we hear the gears grind, the place where we go, where we go, where we flow, and I'm saying, Yes, you have to know. Freestyle and philosophy is about the mind. It's about the place where we have to unwind. It's about asking the biggest of questions. It's about finding the biggest of lessons. Because right now in life, we don't have answers. But I'm saying right now, you have to be a planner. You have to be willing to go out into the dark. You have to be willing to ask, where do we start and where do we end? And what is life? What is fighting? What is love? And what is strife? It is the biggest questions. It is the biggest path and I'm saying right now we just have to do the math so I'm going back and it's a little bit of free flow and going back it's a little bit of a rival because Brandy's like that is my island time that is the one thing I would take with me to pass the time because it is in the rhyme when I step back I'm committing lyrical crimes so when I'm going I am in the flow and I'm just saying this is the place where we have to go. And I'm gonna go, and I'm not feeling like I'm a rookie. I'm gonna go get some pizza, maybe a little cookie, a little ice cream. I'm feeling down. We are gonna go back, we're gonna run the town. So I'm telling you, no, it's not in college. When you're going, you just have to crush the knowledge. That is the superpower from the top of the tower. And this has been just the most beautiful hour. So I'm saying right now, sneaky like her cat, because with Brenton, it was this plus that.
0: Wasn't that amazing? What a gift to, to do that on the spot, and what a gift to be able to. I mean, I think it's so incredible to be able to make connections in your brain instantaneously, like on the fly like that. You know, I, I do this podcast because I love making connections between things, of course, but making them in a stream of consciousness that actually is comprehensible to the public on the fly is just so wild to me. I'm in just such awe of Brenton and his work in the world. And I'm guessing you are now too. So if you want to find out more about Brenton and see all of his work online, you can find him at BrentonZola. Zola, that's Z-O-L-A, brentonzola.com. You can find that link, show notes from our conversation, and links to everything else we talked about, as usual, by going to his episode on my site at thisplusthat.com slash episodes. Thisplusthat.com is also where you can sign up for my newsletter which is the only place where I share like really personal sort of insights from my own world and make connections between things that are fascinating me and, um, meaningful to me. Like today, uh, I'm recording this, uh, on a day when I sent out a newsletter and this last one was on the intersections of, um, beauty plus risk. And it's a story about how, I just really deeply believe that humans are hardwired to give beauty everywhere we go and uh, that we are constantly told in this world that it's too much of a risk to give of all the things that we want to give. And so we hold back all the time, but that holding back of the things that we want to give and the beauty that we want to create in the world is actually killing us. And I think it's bad for our health. I think it's bad for blocking flow of gifts that come to you and all kinds of other things so I wrote about that in the newsletter this morning and if you want to hear things like that uh definitely sign up again it's at thisplusthat.com you can also find me elsewhere online of course at thisplusthatpod on Twitter and Instagram and if you're grateful for this work in any way you can drop me a tip or become a monthly supporter by going to my website and clicking on mutual aid whether you support me financially at all or not you get equal access to all of my content y'all I will, I'm not charging for, um, you know, getting access to certain private things. I want to give everything away to you. And if it's a gift in your life that you would therefore gift me. And sometimes that looks financial. Sometimes it looks like just talking to other people about this work and sharing the podcast or the newsletter or anything else I do, if that's meaningful to you. I've also been doing a lot more on YouTube lately, which is really fun. So I want you to go subscribe on YouTube. Uh, you can find a link to that also on my site and yeah, I don't know. I just want to keep sort of doing this whole gift, giving it forward thing. So if you love this, please help support it in some way. And if it's just meaningful to you and you don't have the resources, then, you know, that's where you're at. And I'm equally as thankful for you as anyone who gives hundreds or millions of dollars, right? Like to me, I was just telling my friend Julianne the other day, it's, I think as a creator operating in my most authentic way is getting to a place where I believe that rich or poor, or my cat's meowing in the background, Um, no matter who gives me what or how much you give me, that I'm just grateful for everything because this life is a fucking gift, right? The whole thing is a gift that I get to do this work. And so if it's meaningful to you, I'm just, uh, that means the world to me. I also want to thank, as usual, the team from UpFire Digital for doing the audio processing for this show. I love them. They're spectacular. You can find them online at upfiredigital.com. And because my cat is about to walk all over my recording equipment, I think I'm going to call that good. (laughs) So thank you. Thank you for listening. And until next time, just keep being this plus that people and mashing together seemingly disparate things and working on holding complexity and nuance in your life. I love you for it.